Hi, my name's Paul Locke. I'm the Managing Director of Pan-Asia Metals. Pan-Asia Metals is a battery and crit critical metals explorer, and we have lithium projects in Southeast Asia. In fact, we have the only lithium projects in Southeast Asia, and our plan is to take our product downstream and deliver into the Thai auto market, which is the fourth largest auto producer in Asia. Hi, my name's Jeff McTamara. I'm co-founder and non-exec director of Tesoro Gold. We've made a significant gold discovery uh, in Chile, in South America. In fact, we've identified uh, a new district, an intrusive-related gold system in Chile. Uh, we've established our maiden resource of 1.1 million ounces at 1.12 grams per tonne, and we expect to release a scoping study in the coming weeks. Uh, and we'll look to move this project into production. We're 15 kilometres from the coast on the Pan American Highway and have very good infrastructure. Thanks, guys. I um, appreciate you coming on. Um, today we are going to, well, we, we're going to talk about the markets a little bit and maybe how retail investors feeling a little bit nervous, need a little bit of hand-holding, um, and we're going to try and um, identify a few clues that people should be um, looking for. But first, I've got to talk about, um, you know, how you guys are feeling. So, uh, Paul, pretty tricky markets out there. Have you had to adjust the way that you're running your business, your plans for the near future? Well, uh, Matt, in a way, yes, but... Um, it all comes down to the cash position. So right now we're in the, well, we've just finished the quarterly reporting season um, on the ASX and um, uh, there's quite a few companies out there with very low cash, so they're nervous because they've got to go into this market and raise money. Um, uh, we've been pretty careful and our cash position is very strong. So we can, uh, we don't have to worry too much about our spend. We can maintain our programs. Uh, but we are are a little concerned um, that, uh, you know, the underlying lying market is still very strong um, and uh, if we don't see a turnaround um, in, the, in our sector, in the lithium sector, we could be raising it at a low, at, at a low price. But um, I, I don't think that'll happen. And Jeff, I mean, same, same question to you. You know, obviously, you know, Paul's talking about lithium, if you're fitting into the EV thematic, and we'll come back to thematic in, in a second, but you're, you're in the gold space, on, well, with Tesoro, you're also in the copper space with uh, Carpier. Um, how are you feeling about those commodities? Is the, are you uh, leaning towards the copper project um, or, and, or how is gold treating you? Um, I look at longer term, I, I look at gold pretty simplistically. I look at it over five years broadly. And if you look at gold five years ago, it was about $1,200 an ounce. And, and today, you know, it has gone down, but we're sitting just below 1800 I'd expect in five years time, we'll, you know, we'll be in the low 2000s for the gold price. We've seen an extraordinary amount of money printing. We're now seeing interest rates rising. And typically in those periods when interest rates go up, you do see gold soften. And also at this time of year, the, the summer in the Northern Hemisphere, you see gold soften as well. So I'd expect as we move into the back end of the third quarter and the latter part of the year, you see gold strengthen again. Um, and, and I think you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens in, in the U.S., uh, with the midterms, um, you know, that'll also potentially have an impact on gold. But, I, you know, look, I'm feeling confident on gold. Um, you know, as with most of the thematic with commodities, whether you're in the battery, EV thematic or, or the precious metals, fundamentally there haven't been a lot of big new discoveries made. 
and the majors, you know, are looking for other assets to bring in and to, you know, grow their own resources and reserves. Okay, and Paul? I would have thought too, sorry if I can jump in, Jeff, for the gold guys, you know, you mentioned um, we're up from 1,200 five years ago, Jeff, um, and back then, you know, a gram a tonne was still pretty good. Um, so um, on an all-in sustainable basis um, in this market, uh, it's pretty good for the gold guys anyway, isn't it? Yeah, thanks, Paul. A good point. Um, yeah, look, I think the gold price is, is strong at you know, the levels it's at, but I certainly see more upside. Um, and I think fundamentally when you look at the thematics of all the commodities and the prices over the longer term, and I think this is the crux of what people need to look into, is that um, you know, if you look at these things over broader timelines, not the last six months where we've had a correction, not the last 12, 24 months, if you look at these thematics over five to 10-year periods, you can see most commodity prices have you know, appreciated gradually over time. And during these times, you do have corrections and we'll continue to have corrections both in the commodity pricing itself and the equity markets as well. Right. Okay. So you, you, you're talking about, so, you know, you've got to look long term. You've got to, in a way, kind of, for, for this is a conversation for, for retail and maybe even some family offices, smaller family offices, where we're just trying to help people feel a little bit more comfortable about the environment that they're in and, you know, and, and you know, address some of the concerns. So, um, longer term view. And I think, Paul, you talked earlier about, you know, theses or thematics, um, that you're investing into. So, so let me ask you this, Paul. Are retail investors right to be nervous now? Are you nervous that they're nervous? We're nervous because they're nervous, uh, but they shouldn't be nervous. So so my view is um, uh, an investor should look at the company and and where it's, you know, where they think it's going. So most, most explorers or, or developers um, need to work on a 10-year timeline because it takes that long for an asset. So, you know, um, you go, you might go through several cycles while you're, you're doing your feasibility study. Um, and uh, if management's got confident, confidence in the asset um, to go through those cycles, that's your first hint that um, things in the longer term will be okay. Um, but uh, particularly with the LIBs and, and EVs um, and that, that thematic, the growth in EVs, so... Um, I just read today that in 2021, there were 6.6 .6 million EVs sold. That was double 2020. And I think uh, we're selling um, more EVs now in every week than we were in 2012, and that's growing. Um, so the underlying, underlying market has not changed. There's still a lot of investment in uh, battery plants, a lot of investment in EVs. There's something like four, over 400 models of EVs now. Um, so when we look at what we're doing and the longer term, we're not worried uh, about that. Um, in fact, you've just got to write it out and, and not worry, you know, just write it out. Okay, but and I'm, I'm, going to stick, I'm going to stick with you, um, Paul, just for a second, and then we'll come on to Jeff and Gold. Um, it, let's talk about thematics, right? So markets... They're coming to go. We're, we're in a cycle at the moment, and the good news about cycles is we cycle out of them at some point. The, the question is when. Um, but the industrial players, the 
OEMs, the automotive manufacturers, they are making plans, you know, multi-decade plans here. So should we, in a way, be looking to them for clues as to where certain commodities are, are going? Oh, absolutely. You know, even uh, at Stellantis, um, uh, they laid off some workers, but they're still producing more cars than, you know, their production is going up. And then you've got Tesla, which is trying to find um, material for batteries and Ford is too, and all of these other automotives. So I think that's a pretty good signal of, of where the market's going and why investors can sort of relax a bit if they're in the right commodity. I mean, uh, maybe in some commodities, it, it wouldn't be so relaxing. Right. So that's, that's a nice, easy um, thing for you to work out. Okay. All of, all of this huge industry, hundreds of billions of dollars being invested into the EV thematic and lithium is, you know, one of the things that you, you are going to feed into the South Asia, Southeast Asian market, um, which is great. But for gold, Jeff, what's going on at the moment? We're reading about market manipulation by JP Morgan. Um, price action has been weak of late. Um, what gives you confidence that it's all going to be okay? Well, I think, you know, if we look at what's happened in the market, one of the interesting things, cryptocurrencies have had you know, a pretty significant correction. Yeah, if we look at where gold, you know, gold did go down and went below 1700, it's nearly back at 1800 already. Um, and as I said early, earlier, this is typically actually a soft time for gold uh, at this time of the year. So that northern hemisphere time, you know, the old sell in May go away. So, you know, July, August, uh, significant holiday periods in the northern hemisphere. And again, that linked to when interest rates are physically rising typically gold tends to soften as well. So my view is I'm actually pretty happy that gold's managed to bounce back to nearly 1,800 already. Uh, and I expect as we move towards the back end of the year, we'll see it appreciate further. Okay, so, you, so Jeff, sticking with you, um, we've seen um, a lot less buying of physical gold in China and India. Um, obviously, given uh, inflation is hitting everyone's pockets at the moment, less discretionary spends, less disposable income. Um, it, it, it looks like a top, tough environment for gold out there. But again, coming back to your comment about crypto, do you think you would you expect to see that movement back from crypto back into physical gold? Or do you think those crypto guys will go elsewhere? I mean, well, again, what's giving you the, the sense that people will I come back? I think you'll see some of it move back to gold. Um, yeah, I think that's just a, a natural hedge. I think, you know, people are very nervous. You know, I've been in the US quite a bit in the last several months and, you know, I touched on the midterms earlier. I think people are pretty nervous about what's going to happen there. Um, you know, there's obviously the Ukraine-Russia conflict as well, which is, you know, really impacting all commodities, you know, soft and metals, uh, both physically by reducing some of the supply, but also, again, you know, general concern and, and people do turn to gold uh, as a store of value as they always have and they always will. And in a, you know, a pretty significant market correction that we've seen now, you know, we've seen some of those more speculative stocks have very large corrections because fundamentally a lot of those businesses weren't sound. You go back to Paul's point, you know, what you need to look at is, you know, does the business have cash and does it have a real underlying asset? Has it made a discovery? Can it show some preliminary economics on that asset? Can that asset continue to grow and can it be extracted? Okay, and so Jeff, I'm going to say with you again, but um, is in a, in a market like 
this, you know, even even, even before kind of COVID, it was is moving to a very you know environmentally focused uh, narrative out there. You know, ESG has become very prevalent in the last um, two years. Funds have rebranded themselves with ESG in the title somewhere. Um, although I noticed the SEC is kind of clamping down a little bit on that. And um, the, 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 there's an audience out there that says that mining needs to up its game. It needs to be held accountable and needs to do things better. Do you think that gold, because of its lack of utility, is getting a sort of unfair hearing out there compared to, say, battery metals? I know you're involved in both. Um, are you finding it easier with your copper project than you are with your gold project in terms of getting a, a fair hearing? Oh, I think it is easier with the battery thematic. But I think what a lot of people don't know is there's actually uh, more gold from a value perspective in, an, in a mobile phone than there is any other commodity. You know, the use of gold is growing in electronics, you know, certainly not the same levels of growth we're seeing with the base metals and, and, and the battery thematic. I think gold is you know, sort of looked at as maybe a bit older and, and not as relevant, but I think it's actually these times when we'll see some of that relevance come back. Um, but again, on that ESG point, yeah, th there are a few aspects to it is, okay, we want to electrify the environment. But I think, as you pointed out, you know, mining in general needs to get better, not so much at what they do, but how they put themselves forward as to what they do. Because for me, you know, we've always actually practiced ESG because if you don't engage with your stakeholders uh, and, you know, if you can't get things permitted and build projects, yeah, that's a fundamental failure of ESG. And okay, Paul, and um, we've we've seen companies, you know, in difficult times, you kind of do what you you, you need to to survive, right? And I think I, I I buy your point earlier that you know cash gives you optionality, so perhaps you, you've got a you've got a choice as to how you move forward. But um, and and that, that just kind of that kind of interests me in terms of the way that companies try to stand out, the way they will one survive actually, uh, and but two stand out from the rest of the, the peers. Cash is 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 one way of doing that. We've also seen um, companies, you know, rushing to make announcements about MOUs, non-binding MOUs, and we're seeing barely worth the paper they're written on, or getting agreements in place, or telling us about uh, an agreement to have a conversation up to, about having a conversation with someone in in, in the industry. So these sort of non-announcements out there. I mean, well, one, are you, do you agree? Are you seeing a lot more of those? And two, what do you think the, the, the value of that is to you know again retail shareholders and how they should interpret that? Well, I, I think. Um uh, shareholders uh, or uh, potential shareholders, if they're looking at a company and it's going on about MOUs, um, should should look at that through quite a critical lens. Uh, one thing um, uh, the market or shareholders um, or investors should keep in mind is that um, in a lot of cases, this is a commodity product and um, providing the project um, uh, is doable so it can get permitted and so on. Um, it's highly likely it will sell its commodity product into the commodity market. So uh, right now um, in the uh, battery metal space we've got, and particularly in lithium, there's been a lot of hype around an MOU with Tesla, an MOU with Ford. Um, but um, no one uh, is um, in the market um, talking about the agreement Ford has with, you know, the disc brake manufacturer or the tyre supplier. And it's essentially exactly the same thing. So um, I think um, investors get uh, uh, get um, 
uh, a bit enthusiastic about MOUs. And like you said, an MOU is essentially worthless until it becomes an agreement. And it won't become an agreement until um, um, whichever company it is is supplying. Another thing about MOUs too, too is that they can actually hamstring a company. So if you've got a company um, and uh, it's well positioned and it uh, wants to jump into an MOU so it can wave the flag, that wave flag waving is an expensive, um, uh, expensive exercise because you've just cut yourself off from all opportunities. So just recently I had um, uh, a broker uh, call me and said, can you just sign an MOU for a bit of your concentrate? Um, so we can talk about it. And I said, but why would I do that? Because our whole purpose is to produce chemical. So if I sign away my con concentrate, I can't produce chemical. Uh, and I thought that was um, slightly mindless in a way. I can see where he was going. Yeah, but, yeah he, he was going um, to his we, bottom line because he's got a different business yeah, model to you. <laughs> that's where he's going. Well, that's right. That's right. He's looking for a short-term game. And we... we um, uh, hobble the company for the life of the project. But in, investors have got to look at that too. So if it's a commodity product um, uh, and you're, you know, a long way from a complete feasibility um, or a long way from banking, because that's where it really matters, the financiers want to see agreements, then it really uh, probably doesn't matter too much. So what are, what, are the, what are the available tools that you approve of that for, for companies if, if there's some some little you know cheap wins there short-term wins that companies just trying to stay relevant trying to stay on the front foot and on the front page as it were what do you think they should be doing and what should I as a retail investor be looking for for a, from a well-run company this is something I think about a lot because um, like most companies our share price has been under pressure um, and uh, I feel that uh, our company, Pan Asia Metals, is undervalued when I compare it to the peer group. So my question to me over time is, what do I need to put out in the market um, to help um, uh, investors understand our proposition? Um, and uh, we, we have been reluctant to just pump out announcements which are, are fairly empty just to put something on the, on the ASX. Uh, um, and it's, it's something we sort of... Um, tackle with quite often, you know, or, or think about. Uh, I, I look at companies and they'll put out an announcement about um, uh, incredibly high assays from a rock chip. The first question I ask myself is, well, that's great, but is it a channel or a rock chip? And uh, is this series of assays over a kilometre or over 10 metres? And, and you literally see that. You see companies which will put out... Um, uh, assays over, you know, um, uh, 100 metres or so, and it really doesn't mean that much at all. And Jeff would understand this um, too. Uh, and, and so you need to sort of, you want to set yourself aside and say what we put out into the market is credible, but a lot of the time I think investors are looking for that quick, you know, uh, uh, probably a little bit of an adrenaline um, uh, hit. You know, they put out an announcement, it's a bit of a share price move, but it uh, doesn't mean much. So, Jeff, I mean, you, you, you were impacted by this as well, right? Because there's, there's the way the market expects information just by sheer weight of the fact that dent of everyone doing it the same way. Um, if it doesn't happen the same way, they go, oh, there's something wrong here. But you guys went early with the maiden resource and you're under some, under some pressure to put something out. It was below what the market expected, um, but you, needed, you felt you needed to put a stake in the sand at, at that moment in time. 
And that, that I think that's impacted, you know, people's perception of you. And now you've, you've gone on and done a second research, which is great. But do you feel like one, would you have done things differently in hindsight? And, and two, how do you signal to the market going forward that you've actually got something good going on there? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, we, you know, that came out too early and the market, you know, responded accordingly. It was, it disappointed the market and it's hard to, you know, regain traction with the market. But I think we're starting to do that now with, you know, a, a much larger resource, significant increase in grade. And I think part of that comes to, you know, fundamentally back to geology, right? understanding the deposit. We completely remodelled that uh, and that had a, you know, helped with all those changes, that increase in ounces and a you know, nearly a 40% increase in grade. I think the other thing, you know, to, to stay relevant and sort of touching on a couple of points Paul raised is he talked about cash. I mean, it's not only important to see what the business has in the treasury, but, you know, how do they use that treasury? I mean, you know, one of the great things about Tesoro Gold, the management team there, 87% of that capital that's been raised has gone directly in the project. So keeping your costs down, putting the capital into the project, you know, people who run businesses lean, I think that's very important for, for investors, retail and, and new investors to look at and to understand. Um, and the other thing is, you know, what exactly are they spending that money on? As, as Paul alluded to, MOUs aren't really worth anything. You know, in my mind, you want to see companies still doing things in the field. You know, is that drilling? Is that studies? Uh, yes. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're doing that, but we've reduced the number of rigs we've got on site, right? We're conserving capital by continuing to de-risk the asset, but we're doing that on a, at, a, at a slower burn rate to conserve cash, um, you know, so we don't end up in a situation where we don't have capital. But I think that's important to understand, you know, the burn rate and what, what that capital is being used for. I think you'd agree yeah, with that. Yeah, I would Paul. agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you look at some of these companies and uh, they're very top heavy um, and uh, capital raisings really are a top up so they can survive another four years until the, the next fad happens. But, um, uh, yeah, investors should look at, at where where the money's going, uh, what what the company's trying to do and is it credible. Um, uh, Jeff, Jeff's uh, ratio there is, is quite strong. I think we're a bit below that, but... Um, uh, uh, we're in a very low-cost operating environment too where we've got a lot more bang for our buck. Um, uh, that's also important. I think Jeff is too. Well, so tell me, that, neither of you, we talked about, well, I talked about ESG, but I think, Jeff, you, you, you did too. Um, but no one's kind of mentioned, like, which seems to be like the go-to conversation since I, since I start talking to someone, which is uh, net zero carbon, carbon credits, Carbon neutral, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, uh, certainly in your case, Paul, given the game that you're in, um, are you looking to hook that up to um, you know, your narrative? Is there, is there some greenwashing coming down the line? Well, uh, this is the trick, really. Um, so we um, have put in place a, a fairly uh, comprehensive ESG strategy, um, and I think it's becoming a requirement. Um, uh, the reality is when you look at the um, WEF's requirements um, uh, and the UN's requirements, you know, the UN has 17 sustainable goals. For a company our size um, uh, and for any company really, it's impossible to 
deliver on all of those goals because some of those goals are global in nature. Uh, but um, we've identified uh, seven um, goals and we focus on three and we can deliver on those and that's um, uh, education, um, uh, consumption, I think the other one's water use, uh, which is which is doable for s- someone our size. And as the project um, uh, gathers steam, we can add to it. Uh, the big one for investors is environment. Uh, clearly, um, most mining operations will have an environmental impact, uh, regardless. Um, uh, but uh, there's a you've got to weigh it up. So, are you delivering something to the market that's required? You know, to move forward and, and with um, climate change on, on most people's agenda, the only way to achieve some impact in climate change is to uh, move down the renewables path, which requires critical metals and so on. So um, uh, a lot of these projects will have some impact, uh, but we've got to look at the bigger gains. Are the bigger gains worthwhile? And I think they are. And then when it comes down to carbon neutrality, um, there are some projects out there who can possi- which could possibly deliver on that. I'm thinking about the geothermal, but you've still got the question of DLE and whether that'll be successful. Uh, but um, if your project is located in a, a place where there's a lot of sun, um, then you've got uh, um, solar. And Jeff's project is definitely in that situation. We're in that situation we also have um, a large hydropower station about um, 80 k's from us, and that grid runs by our project. So that's another source of renewable um, energy. So we're very focused on ESG, and um, we're definitely not greenwashing, uh, but um, I can see investors are looking at that, um, and quite naturally, um, until you deliver, there's a little bit of scepticism there, and greenwashing seems to be the key word of the day. Well, it, it, it is. I mean, Jeff, I've got to come to you, right? Because um, Chile is seems to be clamping down on mining certain mining practices. You know, miners are going to have to adapt and change the way that they mine in country. It seems certainly with this government, current government. Um, have you? I mean, that must be a big consideration of yours, despite being sort of a you know, let's call it an advanced exploration or early stage development project. You've got to be thinking ahead there, haven't you? Yeah, and look, part of the reason we, we chose the area we're focused on is because we have access to existing infrastructure. Um, our metallurgy, all our metallurgical test work's been done using seawater. I think f- for people operating in Chile, that's probably the biggest risk you face. You know, there's a, we're in the Atacama Desert, driest place on earth. Uh, if you can use seawater for processing, then that probably mitigates the largest risk you have. As Paul alluded to, you know, we will be using somewhere in the order of 25, 30% of our power will come from solar, um, but we'll try and tap into the existing infrastructure to, to minimise, uh, you know, the, the, not only the development costs, but building, you know, additional infrastructure that's not required. Um, you know, we have also a, a focus on diversity and, and local employment. So, you know, in excess of 90% of the people we employ are Chilean nationals. Um, and in fact, you know, the operation in country is only one non-Chilean and that gentleman's a Peruvian. Um, so, you know, those there are other parts to, you know, ESG as well that are important. And I think what Paul raised is a good point is you can't encapsulate all of them 
you know, there's certain aspects that for, for each company will, uh, you know, be applicable and, you know, the smaller companies need to focus on those ones that are applicable to them. Okay. I mean, I, I, I think there's some quite a few clues there. So there are to- lots of topics we touched upon there and maybe worth delving down um, on some of those uh, in an, on another occasion. But f- for today, appreciate your insights, you know, coming up with some slightly, slightly different angles, slightly different jurisdictions, different commodities, but nevertheless gives us a clue to what we should be thinking about before we kind of place the bat. Um, and I mean, I th- hopefully you both agree we're, we're in a cycle, we're in a down cycle at the moment and, um, you know, we will come out the other side. So do feel comfortable about that. Um, I'm going to give you both two minutes each to sell your project to the listeners and viewers uh, now. And Paul, I'm going to kick off with you. Two minutes. Why should people be investing in Pan-Asian Metals? Thanks, Matt. Well, uh, Pan-Asian Metals um, is developing uh, lithium projects. Uh, well, one lithium project, we have a lot of um, additional lithium applications. So we've effectively locked up the lithium belt in Thailand. Our objective is to initially uh, produce a feasibility study which will allow us to produce 10,000 tonnes of lithium carbonate per year for a minimum of 10 years, which means it's bankable. And then we want to expand from there. Um, Where we are located, um, we are literally a stone's throw from the tyre auto industry. Um, It's likely that we could produce lithium chemicals on site or in the Eastern Economic Corridor in Thailand. Thailand has introduced a a number of policies to encourage battery and electric vehicle production in Thailand. So they want to retain their position as number four in Asia and number one in Southeast Asia. That means they're bringing, um, uh, providing a lot of incentives, tax incentives um, uh, for companies who are building uh, that, um, those factories. And then um, if we're producing lithium carbonate, we think we'll be the beneficiary of the same. Uh, What we've got to to keep in mind in Thailand is that there's over 20 auto manufacturers operating there already. Toyota shifted its um, Prius battery recycling plant from Belgium to Thailand. Um, uh, Two Chinese companies have have established factories there. That's BYD and Geely. Uh, We've got BMW and Mercedes and so on. So it's a really big market. They want to hold it. We're the only explorer in Thailand, only lithium explorer in Thailand, and we are really well positioned to move downstream um, and supply the Thai auto industry. Thanks, Paul. And Jeff, two minutes. Thanks, Matt. So as I mentioned earlier, Tesoro Gold's made a new discovery, a discovery of actually not only a deposit, but an entire new intrusive-related gold system in Chile has the potential to be multi-millions of ounces, as you know, the best analog is is the Tentina province in Alaska, which is 50 million plus ounces. So we've got the tiger by the tail, for want of a better expression. We've explored less than two percent of our land holding, and we've turned up you know 1.1 million ounces in less than uh, in just over two and a half years. Uh, we'll move that project towards production. Uh, we're in the world's you know, largest copper producing company, so it's a well-known mining jurisdiction. We're going to be using seawater for all our metallurgical processing. And in the next six, 12 to months, you know, six to 12 months, you know, we've got a series of milestones coming. First one's a scoping study. Second one's testing some of the, the new identified analogues to the existing Tenera deposit. You know, we believe we'll turn up multiple deposits in this land package. We'll continue our permitting. 
Uh, and by the end of the year, you know, hopefully we've made another discovery and, and we're on the path to, you know, 2 million ounces in the next two years. Um, so thank you everyone for uh, watching, listening to this. Um, you've got two well-run companies, two good strong management teams with, with projects. Uh, patience is required in these markets. Um, so while you're waiting, uh, do have a look at um, Tesoro Gold and Pan Asia Metals. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Paul.